This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts in the New Testament. We're in a series on this book. We'll be this morning in Acts chapter 3. So please turn there with me. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hands, our ushers will bring you a, a free Bible, and you can follow along this morning and take that home with you. Again, this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 3, looking at the first 10 verses. This is God's Word, holy, inerrant, inspired, authoritative in our lives. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Father in heaven, 
Bless this congregation as we turn our attention to your word this morning. Let us taste and see that you are good. Let us see this glorious Savior afresh, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's fix our attention on Christ and take possession today of the grace of God. Let's take possession of the grace of God available to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter and John's attention were drawn to a man who had been lame from birth. He asked them for what he thought was his greatest need. Money, food, material provision, because he couldn't provide for himself. On the basis of past experiences, he may not have expected to receive much until Peter said, look at us. And then... He expected to receive something because when people communicated with him, no doubt, they would, they would give him the alms he was asking for. Verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I wonder how many times he heard that. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Apostles had no money. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was just their circumstances. But they didn't have alms to give the man. But, but Luke, the author of this book, and he's writing it very intentionally, he structured this sentence to make a point that we don't want to miss. What this man thought he needed Silver, gold, food, provision. What he thought he needed because he was lame is contrasted with what he really needed most. His greatest need Peter could meet. What I do have, I give to you. And what I do have is what you really need. What, what was it that Peter had? The apostles, they had something far better than silver and gold to give to this man. What do you think this morning you need? What is your greatest need this morning? My wife Sherry and I belong to a health club where it seems that the main customers are old people like us. So it's more about surviving than trying to look good. I mean, they have mirrors, but most of us look in them and turn the other way. You know, we're... I envy some of these old guys who, they don't seem to be working out too hard. You know, they enjoy hanging around the exercise bike and yucking it up with their buddies. I hear them talking, and you know what it's often about? Their illnesses. Their knees, their hearts, their surgeries, their recoveries, their pacemakers, their knee replacements. I love listening to these guys. I find myself wanting to talk to them about my shoulder. 
What, what do you and me and my friends at the health club think we need? Well, we often think about the things that are like our health. We value health, and, and, and as you age, we all face physical adversity. It's, and it's easy to assume our greatest need is shoulder surgery or pacemaker or knee replacement. Like the man in our text, what's going on in our body and the effects of our physical problem feels like our greatest need. God was about to give this poor man who was just asking for money, for food, for material goods, God's about to give this poor man far more than he could ever imagine or hope for. God was about, and that's what this text is about, he was going to demonstrate his sovereign grace, his omnipotent, irresistible grace. He was about to receive what he didn't ask for. Peter's follow-up sermon that Mike will look at next Sunday, beginning in verse 12, will make it clear that Luke intends for his readers to see this miraculous event as a demonstration of how the Lord Jesus continues to rescue and restore people who are powerless to save themselves. This is an illustration of the way God provides forgiveness, the way he provides his spirit to those in need of being saved. The point of this miracle story is how the man responded to the name of Jesus Christ. He was healed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ, by faith in his name. The promise of healing is the basis on which this challenge to believe is given to this man. There's a promise, there's a challenge, and the man is restored. And that's what Christ came to do, and that's what he continues to do. What do you think you need this morning? It, it's a confusing word, isn't it, in our culture? Because we, we use it as kind of hyperbole for desire. I need a chocolate bar. But what do you need? What, what did this man need? That's what our text is all about. It's a demonstration of grace. So let's look carefully at it. Verse 2, this man was laid daily at this gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple courts. Verse 10 says the, the people knew him because he was there every day. They knew him as the one, that's the man, who sits by the beautiful gate. It's important. Note, he's there every day. He had a pattern. He was needy. He went to this place and begged. He was well known to be there every day. Verse 3, he just does what he always does. Do does. He asked Peter and John for alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. He saw him. And then he tells the man, look at us. Verse 5, the man fixes his attention on them. He's expecting to get alms. Did this every day. When someone spoke to him, it meant, okay, they're going to give me. 
money. They're going to give me food. But Peter then says, I have no silver or gold. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk, he reaches down, grabs him by the right hand, and immediately his feet and his ankles are made strong. Everything changed in this man's life when Peter directed his gaze at him and said, look at us, and the man fixed his attention on them and heard the name of Jesus Christ. You'll learn in the sermon next week that he believed in Jesus. He had faith in Jesus. This is not a text that lends itself to a simple outline. So this morning, we'll just walk through these verses and ask three questions along the way to help apply the text in our lives. Question number one, does the Spirit through the Word have your attention this morning? Does the Spirit through the Word have your attention this morning? It's, it's as if Peter is saying to each of us in here this morning, look at us. I got something to say to you. Pay attention. This miracle is an illustration of one of the points that Luke made at the end of chapter 2, if you remember, when he gave this summary of the church, and he said, all came upon every soul, many wonders and signs were being done. By the apostles, and this is one illustration. It's the only detailed account of a healing in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. The emphasis is on the suddenness and the completeness of the cure. It's on the wonder and amazement of the bystanders. Luke has given us this for a reason, to get our attention. And Peter will make it clear in the following sermon. He'll make it clear. This is the work of the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Peter will teach the crowd in his sermon. Some who took part in the execution of Jesus, that they have to repent of their sins and turn to God for forgiveness. That's the point of the miracle. It's a sign of salvation that Christ has purchased for all those who turn to him. In, in chapter 4, we will learn that many more in Jerusalem were added to the church. As a result, they were converted. As a result of this miracle and Peter's sermon, they believed. They were converted. They were added to the church. What's noticeable in Acts 2 through 5 in these chapters is the repeated proclamation of salvation through Jesus. It follows from the promise in, in Acts chapter 2. Remember where Peter said, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's an Old Testament prophecy and a promise. And now you're reading about how this is taking place through the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel. That's how God is redeeming his creation. 
Look down in, in verse 20. The, the, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. That's what's going on. This miracle story is, is similar to others in Luke's gospel. So when he wrote his, his, the gospel of Luke, he tells miracle stories. This one's similar. There's a, there's a dire need, and it's met by Jesus. But this time, it's, it's met by the risen Jesus, who's continuing to work now through Peter and John. This is a sign that salvation is available to be enjoyed now. Jesus is continuing to minister. He's doing it through the apostles, through the church. Peter and John, they'll be the focus now for a couple chapters. They continue to go up to the temple to prayer. Jesus has said he's, he's going to replace the temple, but they didn't immediately quit going to the temple. Why was that? Well, Jesus, remember, said to them their mission was to receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them and then be his witnesses beginning in Jerusalem. So they're obeying the Lord. So they're still going to the temple. Eventually, opposition will mean they won't be allowed anymore to go there. But now they can, and they're preaching the gospel. The temple was an important context. Their mission is to fellow Jews. They're faithful Jews. They go to the temple, the hour of prayer, three o'clock in the, the afternoon. In verse two, a man lame from birth, from his, literally, from his mother's womb. He's being carried because he has no other way to get there. They lay him at the, at the gate of the temple. He's asking for alms. Luke's description is highlighting his desperate need. How much more desperate could it be? We learn in chapter 4 that he was over 40 years old when this miracle occurred. Lame from his mother's womb. He couldn't move himself. He was being carried to the beautiful gate. He would lay there and beg. He's helpless. He's He's hopeless. No means to provide for himself, probably an outcast in society. Whenever I consider desperate need, I think of a rabbit I once saw with my dad. Some of the older members remember this rabbit. Growing up in East Tennessee, we had a farm and my dad and I would walk around the farm at times for fun and shoot things. Now, now I know we don't do that anymore, of course, but back in the day, that, that's what fathers and sons did. They walked around their farms and they shot things. And we were walking around 
and we heard a squealing rabbit. I don't think the vocal cords can do it anymore. I'm not going to try. <laughs> Hear a squealing rabbit crying out in desperation. And the, the rabbit, as dad and I came up over the hill, was in the coil of a snake. It was a little baby rabbit crying out last desperate grasp. And this, this snake was about to swallow it whole. I mean, it was over. And all we had was a, if you know rifles, it, it was just a rifle, didn't have a scope, just an open sight, 22. And we were half mile away. <laughs> Dad had to make that shot, and you had to hit the snake and not the rabbit. So, you know, you had a little rabbit, little snake, little rabbit. It just had to be the perfect shot. He shot, and he hit the snake and not the rabbit. It was glorious. Then we shot the rabbit, because that's what we were doing, you know, walking around <laughs> shooting things. So then we shot the rabbit. I'm just kidding. We didn't shoot the rabbit. We were very thankful. We saved the rabbit. The rabbit sat there stunned and then ran off, leaping and praising God. <laughs> Dad and I joked for years, that rabbit's still running. It's probably in Texas by now. I do have a point. What's your greatest need? That, that is a picture of the spiritual need that we had. That rabbit had no doubts about the question of what its greatest need was. If, if Christ doesn't rescue you from your sin, you face a similar faith that that rabbit was facing. You have to be saved. You're hopeless, helpless, it's over. This man asked for what he thought was his greatest need, money, food, material, possessions, help. God gave him far more than he had hoped for. The risen Lord Jesus knew his greatest need, and he provided everything to save him. We, we are unable to pay back God for our sins against him. In, in and of ourselves, we are unable to follow his commands. The essence of faith is, begins with an awareness that we are poor in spirit. If you remember the Beatitudes, we are aware of our need, our dependence on God. We need God. We have spiritual needs. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to know and experience his glory and his and his love, your greatest need, my greatest need, is to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, for the free gift of eternal life. Does, does the Spirit, through the Word, have your attention this morning? Look! Fix your attention on this Word. Take possession of grace this is a demonstration. This miracle is a demonstration of grace. Grace comes through Christ. 
It rescues. This, this man was rescued by Christ. To understand grace, we have to understand our, our desperate need, our trouble, and the, the remedy in Christ. Guilty, vile, and helpless, we spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Question number two, what do you think your greatest need is? We're guilty, we're helpless, and our greatest need is the grace of God. What do you think your greatest need is? Your need is the grace of God. God has, through Christ, abundantly provided just what you need. My friend Jerry Bridges wrote in one of his books, an illustration, I think he used it more than once. It's like when a young man and a young woman are getting engaged to be married and they go into the jeweler to pick out a ring and the jeweler sets a dark velvet-covered pad on his counter and then carefully lays each diamond on the pad and the contrast of the dark velvet provides the background that enhances the beauty of the diamond. Each diamond gets that black velvet background. That's the gospel. Uh, against the dark background of our, our sin and our guilt, God's grace sparkles like a diamond, like a flawless diamond. He's, he's provided the remedy of our ruin. It's, it's a gracious remedy to deliver us, to provide for us, for our greatest need. Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions in this room. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody has sinned. Everybody falls short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This miracle story is a demonstration of this. We are justified freely by His grace. We are justified freely by his grace, to be justified means, means more than just being declared not guilty. It's more than that. It actually means to be declared righteous before God. It means God has charged the guilt of our sin to his son, Jesus Christ, and has credited Christ's righteousness to us. It's, it's because of his grace that we are declared righteous before him. We're all guilty. We're all condemned. We're all helpless. We had no claim on God. He would have been just to simply say guilty. He owed us nothing. He gives us this free gift to meet our greatest need. This is what the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is doing in our text. John Piper says this, we will not be enthralled 
by this good news unless we feel that he was not obliged to do this? He was not coerced or constrained by our value. He's the center of the gospel. The exaltation of his glory is the driving force of the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of grace. And, and grace is the, here's John Piper for you. Ready? Fasten your seatbelt. Grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. We will have a test on this next Sunday. <laughs> Think about it. Verse 8 says, leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 11, which wasn't in our text, says he was clinging to Peter and John. This was one happy man. He was enthralled by the good news. He expressed his joy by walking and leaping and praising God and clinging to the apostles you know, I think we too should be walking and leaping and praising God this morning. What's the meaning of the word gospel? Remember the old English Puritan? Good, merry, glad, and joyful tiding that maketh a man's heart glad and maketh him sing and dance and leap for joy. William Tyndale, we saw it last week. His understanding of the gospel must have been influenced by our text. A beggar healed, walking, leaping, glad tidings. You ever wonder why all the clapping on Sunday morning around here? You ever think, you know, enough already with the clapping. Maybe one song, maybe two, but every song we got to clap. Yeah, I think so. Maybe we should sing and leap and jump for joy and dance. I don't think we should clap less. I think we should clap more. Because of his grace, God has provided a remedy for us. We're in trouble. And we need grace. And he's provided it through Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He atoned for our sins. By his death, he turned aside the wrath of God from us by taking it on himself. And as he hung on the cross, he bore our sins in his body. He endured the full force of God's wrath that we deserved because we had fallen short of the glory of God. He satisfied the justice of God. God laid our sins on him. He bore the penalty. And now God can forgive us freely, completely, absolutely. He can extend his grace to us. He can show now, he can show us favor instead of wrath. Because of Christ. 
I believe in the name of Jesus Christ. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, he's removed your sins. That's what the, the prophetic words were about this morning. He's removed your sins. As far as east from west, he's put them behind his back. He's hurled them into the depths of the sea. He's blotted them out of his record book and promised never to bring them up again. Amen. Colossians 1, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. That's your greatest need, see? He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Should be walking and leaping and praising God. Amen. You are free from accusation, not because of anything whatsoever in you, but because of his grace alone. His grace alone. This is a demonstration of grace through Jesus Christ. Your life is changed as much as this man, this beggar. Your life is changed just as much. This poor man asked for what he thought was his greatest need. Peter wanted to meet a deeper need, what the man really needed. The apostle said, what I have, I'm giving to you. I don't have silver and gold, never mind. What I have is something better, better by far, as Paul said it in Philippians 3. Something better by far, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. They express this with a command. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He rose up and walked because he believed in the name. It wasn't the power of the apostles. Down in verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's by faith. He believed in the Savior, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is not some magical formula or something that operates apart from Christ. In the Old Testament, the power of the divine name was a theme. And now in the New Testament, the name of the exalted Jesus conveys God's glory. It conveys God's strength. Even in the vicinity Beside the temple. It's, it's a symbol of Jesus, of his continuing presence and power. And that's why we will pray for you today in the name of Jesus Christ. He's ascended to heaven and he, he will return at a later time to restore everything. And even now, he is restoring through the Spirit. This man had faith in that name. This miracle is about 
the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this miracle is about. It's a testimony of his power and his grace. Question number three, do you have faith that the risen Lord Jesus can rescue you today? What's your greatest need? Do you have faith? We're going to do the second Sunday ministry time here in a moment. And it's a moment to believe. It's a call for faith. We want to take possession of the grace of God available to us because of Christ. Hard to say how many times we do this every month. It's hard to say how many times the Lord has answered our prayers. We hear testimonies all the time. It's a call for faith. It's members of the church and the pastors agreeing together in prayer. It's confident prayers because of Christ. The authority of the apostles to heal was connected with their role as primary witnesses of the resurrection of the Jewish Messiah. Luke's point is that these apostles are like the prophets in the Old Testament. They're the successors of Jesus. And these extraordinary miracles take place in this book through the apostles or through other prophetic figures like Stephen or Philip. David Peterson in his commentary says, Christians today cannot simply command healing in the name of Jesus. However, we may confidently point the needy to the risen Lord and pray confidently for them in his name, knowing that he remains gracious and powerful to heal. And so doing, it's important to remember the perspective that Peter gives in his sermon on this occasion, that God will not restore everything until Jesus returns and his saving purposes are consummated in the new creation. It's already, but it's not yet. Not yet fully consummated. No apostles will be praying for you today. Greg Fox may tell you he's an apostle. Don't listen to him. Your confidence should be placed in the risen Lord. He is your Savior. He blesses his people. He remains gracious and powerful. Do you have faith? Verse 7, he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were, were made strong. Leaping up, he stood, began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. It's a sign in chapter 4, Peter calls it a good deed done to a crippled man. We learn in the New Testament, Luke's a physician. You can feel he cares about every detail. He was amazed at what happened as a doctor. He was the Apostle Paul's doctor. And he saw this happen immediately. He saw his ankles be made strong, his feet made strong. He saw him get up. He saw him walking and leaping, praising God, filled with joy. It fascinated him. It was more than fascination. Isaiah 35 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, 
and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This, this lame man leaping is a sign to the Jewish people. Salvation has come. Don't miss the point. There is salvation in Christ. It's much more than health and wealth. It's restoration. It's fellowship with God in Christ. It's water breaking forth in the wilderness. It's a stream in the desert. It's what you need this morning. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him, verse 10, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. All the people, all the people saw him. All the people, they knew that's the guy. They know this man. It was like all the people, it's like even more than were actually there. Everybody knew what happened. Three times it says he was walking. <laughs> they were filled with wonder and amazement. They knew this was a miracle. It was a sign. They knew what leaping meant. Luke often describes the response of the people. The, the wonder and amazement is part of this story. He wants you to see this. He's amazed. Verse 11, again, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. All the people utterly astounded. So then Peter preaches a sermon. And we'll look at it next week. But the point is to persuade this crowd that Jesus is the Savior. Repent and believe in the name of the Lord. Imagine how difficult it would have been for this crowd to turn to Christ. This crowd that had executed Jesus. Imagine how difficult. And yet they did. We'll learn from Luke more and more and more people come to Christ. More and more believe and are added to the church. Regardless of your past opposition to the Savior, you can come to Him. You can come today. I want to invite everyone to come to the front. Let me invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to return to singing and we're going to have our our prayer teams come to the front and we're going to invite you to come and be prayed for this morning. So please bow your heads with me. Let me pray. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to accomplish His purposes in our midst this morning. But just, just feel free to come to the front and ask these folks to pray for you. Father, we are grateful for how our faith has been stirred this morning. 
We are grateful, Lord. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has been encouraged through your word. And now I pray, Father, that you would receive all the glory as we come and and ask for help. We have needs, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would hear our cries in Jesus' name and rescue us for your glory alone. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.